I invite you to take your copy of God's Word today and open it to John's Gospel, John chapter 17. We'll be in verses 1 through 10 this morning. The last uh, week in my life has been particularly spiritually, um, I don't know what the word is, good and hard all at the same time. I've been spending, uh, beginning with our Sunday in prayer, our morning in prayer last Sunday morning, continuing into Monday, into Tuesday, been uh, doing my level best to seek the Lord in prayer. And um, this doesn't happen to me very often, uh, but Tuesday night, I think it was Tuesday night, I was, uh, maybe it was Monday night, all the days run together, it was a short week, but sitting in the quiet and the dark of the living room after uh, Nikki and the kids had all gone to bed, just praying to God, and um, sometimes, not too often, uh, but sometimes I'll ask God very specific questions in prayer. It's not very often I get very specific answers immediately, Um, but on this occasion earlier this week, I was asking God some specific questions uh, related to the life of our church, my own life personally. It felt like the Lord was giving some specific answers, so immediately I'm suspect, right? It's like, was this the Lord speaking, or is it my own heart saying what it wants to feel um, or what it wants to be true? And I'm not 100% sure yet. I'm still praying about those things, but one thing I am certain of in that time of prayer uh, I, I came to a place, I was just sitting in silence, waiting on God, and this phrase, and I shared this with uh, some people earlier this week, so I'm sorry for repeating the story, but it's, uh, I feel like it's important for all of us, but the, just the phrase, just the, the sentence, trust the Lord, came to my heart, came to my mind, uh, it's what I want to do, it's what I want for us as a church to do, trust the Lord, trust the Lord, trust the Lord, just over and over as a prayer in, in the quiet of my own heart before the Lord. And God led my heart to a passage of Scripture that would be familiar to you. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, uh, which says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Uh, man, that was an uh, encouraging word uh, from the Lord to me uh, that night as I was praying. Why? Because there are a lot of things before me, and I think before us, uh, even as a church, certainly in the year ahead, we don't know what the year is going to bring. We have thoughts, we have plans, we have expectations about what might happen. But in truth, none of us know any of that. Not a one of us is omniscient like God is. And so the importance of trusting the Lord was really before me, and, and, and I want to... Sh- in some way, share that with you as well and call you to do the same. Trust the Lord with all your heart, church. Do not lean on your own understanding. You might have lots of good plans and, and lots of things you've been working on, but they might, need, might not be the paths that, straight paths that God has to lead you down. The next morning I woke up and I opened Proverbs 3 and I read the next two verses, verses 7 and 8. So trust in the Lord with all your heart, lead not on your own, lean not on your own understanding. Uh, in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn from evil, and it will be healing for your flesh and restoration to your soul, refreshing to your bones. Um, man, I, when I looked at that the next morning, I thought, yeah, Lord, that's exactly what I need. Uh, the last two years, the pandemic, pandemic years, um, as prayerfully that's starting to wane in 2022, again, I don't know what's going to happen, but um, I, and this is no um, mystery to any of you, shared this with you last fall, uh, 2021 was a particularly dry year for me, a thin year spiritually, emotionally, all those ways. Um, don't know why, but it was. 
And in 2022, what I need is healing and refreshment, and I feel like the Lord showed me exactly how to get it. And it's not by anything that I can do. It's by not being wise in my own eyes. It's in fearing the Lord, worshiping Him above all else, turning from evil, walking in repentance. Friends, that will bring healing and refreshment to me in this year. And, uh, and I think it will be healing and refreshment, bring those things to you in this year. Now, here's the thing. We can't trust the Lord with all our hearts. We can't be not wise in our own eyes apart from seeking the Lord constantly, putting him before us in all that we do. It's why we start the year most years, that first Sunday of the year, with a morning of prayer. And that's not just because I don't have anything else to preach or I want to break from preaching through Christmas or whatever. It's, it's because I really want us to start the year well. And so I'm going to intentionally take what we did last Sunday, that morning of prayer, and we're going to extend it in intentional ways throughout the rest of this month of January as we look at, for the year ahead, our mission, our vision as a church, and God's glory and how God will be glorified in us as we follow that. Today, I want to look kind of broadly at why we do what we do from John chapter 17, verses 1 through 10. Why do we do what we do? Why do you have the job that you work? Why do you live where you live? Why do you drive the car that you drive? Why are you here in a church this morning? Why do you run the business or the company that you may be in charge of? Why do you go to school? Because your parents make you, and you have to, and they'll go to jail if you don't. But it's a whole other thing. Why we do what we do? What what is the, the driving impetus, the driving force, the driving motivation in our lives? Why do we do anything? This is a great question that humanity has asked for a long, 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 long time. Uh, contemporary leadership uh, author Simon Sinek is uh, is the presenter of uh, one of TED Talk's most popular videos. There's eight million views of this video uh, of this particular talk on YouTube. I think 56 million if you include views from their own website as well. It's a talk that Simon Sinek, and I don't think he's a believer, but I think there's some truth in what he says. A talk that he gave in 2009 at a TED Talk in Puget Sound up in the Pacific Northwest. And the title of the talk was Start With Why. And it actually became the title of a book that he wrote later. But in this talk called Start With Why, he he, uh, draws out this concept that he calls the golden circle. And it's just like three concentric circles. It looks like the Target logo. But at the very center of it, uh, so he draws three concentric circles, you know, and the one on the very inside, he writes inside of it the word why. The next one further out, he writes inside of it the word how. And then the, the broadest circle, he writes the word what. And he says, all of us kind of live life from the outside in, or we function from the outside in. We know what we do. We go to work at Sandia Labs or Albuquerque Public Schools or wherever it is that you may work. We go to work, and this is what we do. I have a job description. I have uh, 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 responsibilities that I have to fulfill. And I also know the how. So I I know not just what I do, but I also know how I do it, the procedures, the end result, and all that sort of thing. But what so many of us struggle to figure out or to really know is why we do anything at all. We know what, we know how, but we don't always know why, other than maybe to get a paycheck. But that's not really going to keep you at a job for very long, is it? 
Right? What's the, well, that, that question why is a, is a question of fulfillment and a question of purpose. It's a question that, that drives all that, all that we do. He says, Simon Sinek says, great companies and great organizations that actually inspire people and get things done, they don't communicate to their workforce and to the outside world from the outside in. They don't say, this is what we do and this is how we do it and maybe eventually get around to why. He says, no, great organizations communicate from the inside out. They start with why. He uses uh, Apple because it's a ubiquitous example. Apple's just everywhere. He uses Apple as an example. Apple doesn't just make computers that are easy to use and uh, user-friendly and the design looks nice and, um, uh, and they're just things that people like to buy and like to use. That's not what, what Apple exists to do. Apple's why, their driving sort of force at the center of who they are as an organization is to challenge the status quo in technology. They just happen to make easy to use, nicely designed, uh, accessible products and computers. And then they ask you, wouldn't you like to buy one? Right? Apple communicates to you when they have their commercials and other things. Their communication, their, 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 their main message is not, we have cool computers. Their message is, we challenge the status quo. We're on the leading edge. We're way out in front. We're trying stuff that no one has tried before, and we're not afraid to fail and try again and make it up. How many failed products has Apple had? Do you remember that like weird neon jelly bean iMac that they had? Some of you do translucent back, and it's like, oh, yeah, that's cool. Those aren't anywhere today. They didn't, I don't think they even sold particularly well. But Apple's still around. Why? Because they're not committed to a product. They're committed to a vision. They're committed to a mission to challenge the status quo at every stage and in every product that they put out. They just happen to put out, uh, create really great computers. When it comes to the life of the church of Jesus Christ, I can think of no better question to ask than why. Why are we here today? What's the point? Is it just to check boxes on a religious to-do list? Is it to put out some sort of product and sell it to the masses? If that's what it is, we're, we're completely failing at that. We haven't sold a thing to anybody in, ever. <laughs> why are we here as a church? More importantly, friend, why are you here in a church this morning? What's the, what's the point is this just something you do? Is just this just a what? I, I am a Christian. That's what I am. And how do I do that? I go to church. Friends, that's a really superficial way to go about your faith. The question should not be, what are you and how do you do it as a Christian? The question should be, why am I here? And not just here in this building, but why am I here on earth at all? What's the purpose for anything that I do? What's driving me? What's motivating me? What is the thing that I must be about if I'm about anything at all? And I can think of no better person to look at to answer that question of why than the person who we come together to look at and focus our eyes and our hearts on and follow faithfully each and every day and each and every time that we gather together. I can think of no one better to tell us what our why is than Jesus himself. And this he does in John chapter 17, verses 1 through 10. Would you stand with me as we honor God by reading his word? 
John 17 is, uh, you probably have a subtitle in uh, your English translations of the Bible, says the high priestly prayer. This is a prayer that Jesus prays in front of his disciples. It's interesting, he's kind of teaching even as he's praying, but it's a prayer that he prays the, the night that he'll be betrayed and the night before he'll be crucified for the sins of the world. And before his disciples, we read this, John 17, beginning in verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had before you, uh, with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave to me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. This is God's word. You may be seated. Why are we here? What do we exist to do as a church? You probably saw on the title slide for the sermon series, our mission statement there printed one more time. We exist to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's the main idea for us today. Here's the answer to that question. Why? Why are we a church? Why are we here today? Why do we do anything we do in calling ourselves Christians and following Jesus? It's this, and this is our main idea from John 17, that we are here on this earth, in this building, in the world, as Christians, we are here to make the beauty and the majesty and the glory of God known more fully in all the world. That's what we're here for. We are here to make the beauty and the majesty and the glory of God known more fully in the world. That's our why. That's our why. That's our driving force to bring worship to the world. It's interesting. Pastor John Piper said uh, one time, missions exists because worship does not. Think about that. Missions exists because worship does not. Why do we go to the nations? Why do we go to our neighbors with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because their hearts are not tuned to worship God but themselves. Also because... If they don't know Christ in a saving relationship, they will die and spend an eternity in hell apart from him. Yes, but primarily we don't share the gospel with those who don't know Christ because they're dying and going to hell. We're sharing the gospel with them because their hearts are made to worship God. And until they do that, they will be missing their why forever. You feel? We are here to make the beauty and the majesty and glory of God known more fully in all the world. As we see this in John 17 this morning, I want for us to come to embrace God's purpose for us as his creation and as his church. Before we do anything else, let's start with why. In John 17, 
ask the, the question, what's our why? And we want to look to Jesus to answer that because we are his church, so let's be about what Jesus is about. In John 17, we learn first this, or we observe this first. Jesus' mission was to glorify God. Jesus' why, the Son of God's why, in taking on flesh, being born of the Virgin Mary 2,000 years ago, to live a sinless life, to die on a cross for the sins of the world, to be raised from the dead, and call all people to faith in Him for salvation and restoration to God. His overarching purpose, His drive, was to glorify God. Isn't that interesting? Jesus' why was not to save sinners. Does He save sinners? absolutely no question about it he and he alone but that's not predominantly why he says in this final prayer of his life that he came he came because he was committed to glorifying the father he glorifies the father several different ways first of all by being obedient we see this in verse one we see it in verse four in verse one jesus says father the hour has come Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you. The hour has come. That's a phrase. It's Jesus' way of speaking about his nearing crucifixion and sacrifice for sinners. Jesus knows that the end of his life is on the near horizon. It's as good, it's as good as done. It's going to happen. The hour has come. So, Father, in his prayer, glorify me. Make my beauty, make my majesty, make my splendor, make everything that is praiseworthy about me known. Glorify me so that I can be glorified? No. So that I can glorify you. See this crazy, beautiful circle between the Father and the Son, these two persons of of the Godhead. The Holy Spirit comes into the picture certainly later in the life of the church. But Jesus asking the Father to exalt him. Glorify him so that Jesus in turn can do what? Exalt and glorify the Father. And you have this beautiful, uh, I should have started much lower, this beautiful upward kind of cascading, right? Glorification of each other. This is what God does. He glorifies himself. Glorify me so I can glorify you. Draw all eyes to me, says Jesus, so I can draw all eyes to you. That's what I'm here for. We see here the, the, the beautiful unity of, the, of God the Father and God the Son revealing unity in their purpose. The unity and purpose of God is His glory, His worship, His praise in the world. Jesus says, draw eyes to me. Call people to praise me so that I can turn and point them to praise you. As you turn and point them to praise me and I point them to praise you. And we just keep doing that forever, Father. Furthermore, Jesus says that all of His obedience, the hour has come. The hour has come for me to do what you have sent me to do. All of his obedience has accomplished its purpose. Look again at verse 4. This is a crucial verse. I glorified you on earth, says Jesus, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. What did God send Jesus to do? It's right there in verse 4. To glorify the Father. We ask that question, and, and, and often we say, what did Jesus come to do? He came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus himself says that. Not to, not to be served, but to serve. Seek and save the lost. He comes to die for sinners. He, he comes to be raised again, that they might be justified to God. Yes, absolutely. Those are, none of those answers are wrong. Those, that's the what and the how, though, in Jesus' life. It's not the why. The why is to glorify God. 
And the way that Jesus brings glory to the Father is by giving His life willingly as a sacrifice for sinners. That's what He does. But primarily to glorify God, to show how beautiful God is in all that Jesus does in His life, death, burial, and resurrection. In all that He does, He is displaying the beauty and the majesty of God for a watching world to see in a very particular way that affects the lives of every human being that has ever existed. But the purpose... But the purpose is to draw eyes to God, to beautify the Father, to communicate His glory and His majesty in the world, to turn hearts that were once rebellious into hearts that are now worshipers. Jesus' mission is to glorify God, and He does that by being obedient. He does it also by exercising His authority to give eternal life. Verse 2, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, the Son may glorify you, since you have given Him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given Him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Catch this. Jesus has authority. Part of the way He glorifies the Father is by doing what God has given Him authority to do. He gives eternal life to those who believe Him. He has authority to do it. He has unique power and responsibility and ability to give eternal life to those who will receive it. Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 18, the great, uh, the, the, the good shepherd discourse, he says, I have the authority to lay down my life and authority to take it up again. And if I can do that, I have authority to give life to all who come to me. Jesus glorifies the Father by being obedient to the Father, by exercising his authority to give life, real life with God. Life-giving life with God as he lays down his life for sinners and raises it up again. And Jesus' mission is to glorify God. Third, we see this in verse 6, by showing people what the glory of God looks like. Verse 6, Jesus says, I have manifested your name to the people who you gave to me out of the world. That word manifest comes from the Greek word phanerao. It means to reveal fully. To pull the curtains back and show everything behind the scenes. To cause something to be fully known in vivid detail. That's what that word manifest means. I have manifested your name. Name means reputation. It means everything about who a a person is, not just the name of God, Yahweh. Jesus is saying, "I'm I'm manifesting everything that is true about you to the world so that they might see it clearly. Everything that's beautiful about you, everything that's glorious about you, everything that's majestic about you, everything that's true about you, Father, I have shown it to those that you've given to me. The author of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says this about Jesus. He is the radiance of the glory of God. Think about the radiance of the glory of God. The, the, the radiance of a light bulb is the light that it gives off, Right? It's not necessarily the essence of the light, but it's what it gives off. Jesus is both the essence of God, he is God in nature, and he's what radiates out of God, that that, that lights up the room, so to speak. He's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. This is what Jesus does. He shows the watching world what the Father looks like and why the Father is praiseworthy. Consider that Jesus was, was never said to be an attractive man. Isn't that interesting? Not necessarily a good-looking guy. There's nothing in his appearance that draw people to him. So the way that he manifests the glory of God is not by being six foot two, 220 pounds, squatting 350 for reps. 
right? Long, beautiful, luscious locks of hair, perfectly manicured beard. This is not how Jesus displays the glory of God, not by being a pretty guy or an attractive person. He displays the glory of God in all that he does and the way that he interacts with people. Jesus' appearance was probably rather average. It may have been even rather unbecoming, which causes us to consider the glory of God and the manifestation of the glory of God, the communication of what's beautiful about God in, in altogether different ways, doesn't it? Beauty is not just found in beauty of form. That's a beautiful person. That's a beautiful piece of artwork. Beauty is also found in, in, in the beauty of function. Glory is found in the beauty of a function of a thing. A hammer being used as a hammer. It's like, yeah, that's what it was made for. That's what it does. A screwdriver being used as a hammer is a horrible thing to observe. That's not what it's made for, right? So Jesus displays the glory of God, not just because he's good looking. Certainly, he, or very likely, he probably wasn't. Jesus displays the glory of God in his function, in what he does and how he lives among us. He shows the beautiful mercy of God as he tenderly calls children to himself. He shows the the justice of God against sin and God's seriousness uh, about sin and and about leading people into sin when he uh, chastises the Pharisees for putting burdens on the backs of people that they themselves were unwilling to lift or even to consider fulfilling themselves. Jesus shows us the, the grace of God as he says to people time and time again, son, your sins are forgiven. Daughter, your sins are forgiven. Go and sin no more. Jesus doesn't just glorify God because he looks pretty. No, 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 no. Far better ways. Jesus glorifies God, manifests the glory of God in all that he does, that we might know what the Father is like. Why are we here? We're here to make the beauty, the majesty, the power, the glory of God known more fully in the world. Why? Because that was Jesus' mission. Jesus' mission was to glorify God. And in the remainder of these verses in John 17, uh, 6 through 10, we see that Jesus' mission is the church's mission. Jesus' mission is to glorify God, so the church's mission is to do what Jesus does, right? Why? Well, look at the second half of verse 6. Jesus' mission is the church's mission because we are his possession. We belong to him. Second half of verse 6 says, Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. Friend, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord, as your Savior, if you've trusted him to forgive you of sin and to raise your life from the dead, to make you holy from the inside out as you follow him faithfully day by day, you can have confidence that you belong to God. Why? Because you belong to Jesus. Here's this beautiful reality that followers of uh, of Jesus belong to God's Son because they first belong to God the Father. Belong to God, he gives them to the Son, Son brings them back to the Father. In this way, we see that Christ is the head of the church, this beautiful doctrine that is, that is explicated even more fully in the rest of the New Testament. Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 11 and Ephesians 5 and Ephesians uh, chapter 4, saying that Christ is the head of the church. They belong to him. They are connected to him in this vital, life-giving way. 
The head is a symbol of authority and direction and ordering of the body that it sits atop of and and directs. Any body that disregards the leadership of the head might as well be decapitated. Jesus' mission is the church's mission because we belong to him. We are his possession. He is our head. He directs what we do. And if his mission is to bring glory to the Father, well then, dear friends, what is the mission of his body that he directs? But the same. Jesus' mission is the church's mission, not just because we belong to him, but also because he has given us the truth. Look at verses 7 and 8. Jesus prays, Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. Everything Jesus says in all of his ministry, all of his teaching, is truth from the Father. It is truth from God himself. Especially, especially what he says about his ultimate goal, his ultimate driving force, his his why. That's true too. I glorified you, Father, having accomplished all that you gave me to do. That's true. And these who you have given to me, they belong to you first, and you've given them to me, and so my why is their why. That's truth. The disciples, in the time that they had come to know Jesus, and even as we come to know Jesus as his disciples through his word and worship and fellowship together, we all come to receive his words as truth. And not just the words of the Gospels, not just the words in red, but all of God's Word. Amen. Amen? We come to receive His Word as truth, including what He has said about why He took on flesh to die for sinners in the first place, so that God might be known and worshipped more fully in the world. Jesus' mission is the church's mission because we belong to Him, because He shows us what is true, And finally, because his beauty and majesty is evident in us. Verse 10, Jesus says, All mine are yours, and yours are mine, speaking to the Father, and I am glorified in them. All mine are yours, yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. This is interesting. Jesus begins his prayer, Father, glorify me that I might glorify you. And now, in the middle of his prayer, he says, these people who are with me, my disciples, those who will come after them even, they belong to uh, me, and they all, all that belong to me belong to you, and all that belong to you also belong to me. And Father, I'm glorified in them. It is one sort of wonderful mystery to consider that Jesus manifests the glory of God, that he displays, that he reveals what is glorious and beautiful about God to the world. It's another sort of wonder, another sort of mystery to know that the church of Jesus Christ manifests the glory of Jesus. I am glorified in them, Jesus says. This is interesting. If we are the body, if we are the bride, if we are the temple, if we are the flock, if we are the family of Jesus Christ, as we are referred to all throughout Scripture, how can we but glorify him? Think of, the, think of the, the physical example of a body and its head. What does a body do? It holds up the head and does everything that the head tells it to do. It glorifies the head. The body glorifies the head. This is what Jesus is saying. If we are the body of Christ, if we belong to him, if we are branches that are grafted into he who is the vine, how can we but glorify the nourishing, life-giving function of the vine that we are grafted into? 
how can we but by our redeemed nature communicate to the world the very beautiful and majestic person and power of Jesus Christ. It's what we're made to do. It's what we're saved to do. And Jesus says he's glorified in us when we do that. The church in the world shows a picture to the world of what Jesus looks like. In the same way Jesus demonstrates to the world what the Father looks like, so the church demonstrates to the world what Jesus looks like. That's interesting. I wonder what sort of reputation the world has of the church today. What, is, what, what sort of reputation does Jesus have in the world today because of the church? Maybe you should ask the question that way. What do non-believing people think is true about Jesus because of what they see in the church? Jesus' mission is to glorify God, and the church's mission is Jesus' mission. This much is clear to us from John 17. And so here are some necessary observations and I think application for us as a church that come from these two realities, that Jesus' mission, his why is to glorify God, and that the church's why is to glorify God because we belong to Jesus. Here are three observations for us. First of all, we exist for far more than religious productivity. We exist for far more than religious productivity. Replicating religious devotees is not our mission. Creating new box checkers is not what we're here to do. Growing church attendance on a Sunday morning is not what we are here to do. Reading our Bible every day is not what we're here to do, although it's good. It's words of truth. You'll encounter the Lord there. I encourage it. By the way, if you need help with a Bible reading plan, we have several on one of the tables um, in, in our foyer. Go find those. Copies of the Bible, too, if you need a Bible to read through or a Bible to give to somebody else. Take them. They're yours. But we don't exist to just make religious devotees who know when to stand and when to sit and what songs to sing and what key and how many verses and which verses to leave out. Our mission, we are here to expand the worship of God in the world. What would it look like then to be a church of people who are making worshipers of God? Think about that. What would it be to be a church of people, body of Christ, who is making, who's developing, who is growing and sending out worshipers of God? Not just religious devotees, not just people who come on Sunday morning and Wednesday evening and take all the right classes and all the right order, but people whose lives erupt in worship of God, who above all is glorious and worthy of praise and honor and glory forevermore. Friend, this is a directed question to you. And Christian, I'm talking to you primarily. Are you a worshiper of Jesus? Or are you just an enculturated church attended? Church attender. Which one are you? Are you a worshiper of Jesus? Or are you just a, a well-habituated church attender? If our mission is to expand the worship of God in the world, His glorification in the world, we must be far more. We cannot just be encultured church attenders. We must be Jesus worshipers. We exist for more than making 
for, for more than just religious productivity. Second observation. Glorifying God in the world begins in me. Begins in us. We cannot expect as Jesus worshipers, as those who live to bring glory and honor and fame in ever-increasing ways to, to God from among the intelligent universe, we cannot expect other people to be compelled to worship a God that we do not already delight in. Glorifying God begins in me. Starts in me. If you're not a worshiper of Jesus, friend, don't expect other people to because of your example. If you're not a worshiper, if, you're, if your life is not lived to bring glory and honor and praise and majesty to God in every nook and cranny of your life, from your morning walk with the dog to, to your lunchtime meeting with coworkers to the end of the day when you lay your head down at night, if your whole life is not lived, eating and drinking and everything you do to the glory of God, you may not be the kind of worshiper of Jesus that is a compelling example to other people that a life of worshiping Jesus is worthwhile. Even as Christians, we are exceptionally adept at glory stealing. We're really good at hoarding glory that belongs to someone else. We're really good at taking praise and lifting ourselves up by it. We're really good at pointing out our strengths and minimizing our weaknesses so we can get promoted at work or get that A in your honors class or... at that spot in the starting position on the football team. We are really good at glory stealing and pointing out how good we are at stuff. Let us in this year learn to give God all that is his. Are you good at throwing a football? It's in part because you practice, yeah, but it's also because God has given you natural gifting and ability and time to put in that practice. People say, bro, you throw that football on a rope. Praise God. I mean, I'll work hard, but it's all because of the Lord. He could take it away at any minute. You turn praise Him with it. Are you good at leading a team at work? You're just, your middle management is really, really hard. <laughs> Are you a really, really good and effective middle manager because you're raising up other leaders behind you? You're empowering people to do work. You get a lot of commendations, employee of the month kind of plaques all over your wall 13 months out of the year because they gave you an extra one in lieu of a raise. Are you really good at leading people, at managing people? Praise God with it. When people give you the employee of the month plaque, you can hang it on your wall. That's okay. But every time someone comes in your office, man, employee of the month, 13 months out of the year, that's something else. You say, hey, listen, I'm trying to be faithful in all that God has given to me to lead other people well, to lift other people up, to serve others. This is part of God, who God has made me to be, is a good middle manager. And, and I am just enjoying living what God has made me to be. My life at work as a middle manager is a life of worship. I love this because this is where God has put me. It's, it's, it's who he's made me to be. It's what he's gifted me to do. And there's opportunity to point other people to Jesus. So you see the plaques on the wall? That's fine. I'm going to use those to point you to God who made me this way. Praise him. This morning, Christian, knowing that glorifying God in the world begins in me, it begins in us. It doesn't begin with the person next to you. Ask yourself this question. What about God? What about who he is in his nature? In just his being? In 
perhaps what he does in the universe, what he does in my life. What about God is awakening and freshening your soul this morning? What about God puts a smile on your face and makes you want to tell somebody else about it? Worship him for that. Praise him for that. Let me tell you what it is for me this morning. The thing that awakens and freshens my soul this morning is the kindness of God. Particularly because I'm not a particularly kind person. Those who know me best know I'm really sarcastic. I can be really facetious. I can spit words that cut deep and fast. I'm not always a very kind person. And knowing that I'm not a kind person, the reality that God in his kindness has sent his son Jesus to die for my sins of unkindness is humbling. And further, not just that God would be kind to send his son to someone like me who doesn't deserve it, but to send his son to, to provide redemption for me and then, and then bring me into a loving relationship with he who is kind and kindness himself and furthermore, to by his own Holy Spirit work kindness into and then out of me as a part of fruit of my life with him. The kindness of God to me brings a smile to my face. Friends, I praise God because he's kind. He's merciful. He's gracious. He's just. He's loving. He's powerful. He's all-knowing. We can praise him for all these things. But friends, this morning, I'm praising God. I'm glorifying him for his kindness to a person who wasn't, but who desperately, because, because God is, wants to be. Glorifying God in the world begins in me, begins in us. Third, this is not three. That's three. Third observation. We exist for more than just religious productivity. We're not just cranking out Christian widgets here. Glorifying God in the world begins in me. It doesn't begin in the person next to me. It doesn't begin with the lost person across the street. It begins in my heart. It extends outward. Third, it must be Jesus that we are following. If Jesus' mission is to glorify God and Jesus' mission is the church's mission, it must be Jesus we are following after. His people know him. His people follow him. Jesus says, if you want to come after me, deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and come after me. It must be Jesus that we're following. And that following Jesus comes at great cost. It comes at the cost of your pride. It comes at the cost maybe of your, your reputation in the world. It comes at the cost of perhaps relationships that are near and dear to you that people don't want to associate with you anymore because now you're following this Jesus guy. But if we are to fulfill our eternal why, the reason that we are here to expand God's glory and beauty and majesty and power in the world among hearts that worship him in love, we have to follow Jesus. His purpose is our purpose. Friend, I ask you this morning, are you committed to Jesus? Are you following Jesus as Lord, as leader, as commander of your life? a shepherd of your soul. That's what it means to follow Jesus. Not just just approve the things that everybody approves. Love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah, I'm on board with that. It's also approving the hard call to discipleship. If anyone's going to follow me, he must hate his mother and father and love me. And Jesus doesn't mean you have to hate your mother and father, but in comparison to your love for Christ, your love for your mother and father should should look that, that much less Is his purpose your purpose? 
By that I mean, are you on mission with Jesus? If his mission was to glorify God and his mission is the church's mission because we belong to him, are you on mission with Jesus? Or are you just following his commands? I'm let that sit a second. Because I've had to think about it this week. Am I on mission with Christ? Am I intentionally, productively, purposefully glorifying God in the world and calling others to glorify Him also? Or am I just doing all the stuff I'm supposed to do? Going to church, read my Bible, praying, go to Bible study small group, I go to grow groups, I serve in the church, I got a, I got a ministry assignment in the church, I preach the Bible every week, that's what pastors are supposed to do. I can do all the right things and not really be on mission with Jesus, you feel? I can tick all the boxes and not really be committed to bringing glory to God's name and all the world by calling hearts to worship him as they're awakened to new life through faith in Jesus. Are you on mission with Jesus or are you just following his commands? Our mission statement as a church is this. We exist to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ worshipers of Jesus, followers of Jesus, mission partners with Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's funny, people often uh, in our, our membership class, uh, we do Membership Matters class periodically throughout the year for those that are wanting to join our church. We start with our mission. We're here to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit and I'll often turn it to the participants in the class and say, what are we here to do? Well, I'll ask you a group of Christians. I could probably step into a Bible study uh, class this morning, read our mission statement. We exist to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. What are we here to do, friends? And the first answer I get almost every single time is, make disciples of Jesus. No. Read the language. We exist to glorify God, to bring glory to his name, to increase the worship of God in the world. How do we do that? That's the, our why. Why are we here? To bring glory to God. It's what he's made us for. How do we do that? By making disciples of Jesus Christ. Because it's only by coming into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ that you can worship God the way that you were made to. You've got to turn from being a self-worshipper to a God-worshipper. You've got to turn from being a self-follower to a Jesus follower. And the way to glorify God in your life is by making that change. And so we know that the best way for people to glorify God is to start by becoming a faithful follower of Jesus. Because Jesus' mission is to glorify God, and Jesus' mission is the church's mission. We also recognize we can't do this in our own power. We have to rely upon God himself, through the person of his Holy Spirit, to empower us to do this. Our mission is grounded in the very nature of God. He is glorious. And it's grounded in the mission of Jesus Christ to make worshipers of all the known world. So let us commit then, friends, with renewed purpose to bring God all glory that he rightly deserves in 2022. If you're not yet a Christian this morning, friend, this life on mission with God and for God begins by you placing your faith and trust and dependence upon Jesus to bring you into a renewed and redeemed relationship with God, your Father and Creator. If you're not yet a Christian, the fulfillment of your overarching why in life, God's why for you, starts by turning from being Lord of your own life and giving yourself over to Christ's compassionate rule and authority as King of your soul.
So here's what I want to do. I told you we we're going to take last week's morning of prayer, string it, and, and, and draw it all the way through the month of January. We're going to stop now and pray. We're going to pray for God's glory in our lives and in the world as a church. I have a couple of prayer prompts for you. And we're just going to do this quietly. And uh, in a moment, we'll go into a time of prayer. I'm going to invite Pastor Danny and the praise team to go ahead and make their way to the platform now. And they'll provide a little music in the background as we pray. But here's your prayer prompt today. Heavenly Father, show me what is beautiful. Show me what is wonderful. Show me what is praiseworthy and true about you so that I can glorify you for it. Glorifying God begins in me. And then pray, give me now a desire to make your glory known in the world by pointing people to Jesus. Would you bow your heads where you are just quietly in the seats where you're at? After we pray a moment, we're going to sing a song of response, a prayer of response, uh, a prayer of response in song. But let's pray together these things.